Well, good morning. We're beginning a new series today that we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. And um, if you are familiar much with the Bible, you notice that there are two versions of this prayer in the Bible. There's a version in the Gospel of Matthew, and there's a version in the Gospel of Luke. And, and, and if you're you know, bored this afternoon because there's really nothing on TV, then you can do some research as to why there are two versions uh, of this prayer in Matthew and Luke. Some say that Matthew borrowed from Luke, and some say that Luke borrowed from Matthew. Here's the approach that I'm going to take. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at these prayers uh, that they both were different prayers, different versions, in different settings, different contexts to serve a different purpose. And that's why we have the differences. The prayer in Luke, for example, uh, if you're looking at this prayer, you see that it's directed towards the disciples only. That's the context of this prayer. You see, Jesus, as was his custom, withdraws to pray by himself, and his disciples, they notice this, and they approach him, and they say, would you teach us how to pray? And so what Jesus does in Luke is he teaches them a way to, prayer, to pray, and then he talks about prayer, uh, specifically about the God that they are praying to. But if you look in the Gospel of Matthew, where we will be today, this prayer, this teaching, why it's, it's directed to a much larger crowd. There's a large crowd of people that are interested and intrigued by Jesus, and they're following him, and they're listening to him. And so what Jesus is doing is he's teaching in this context. He teaches them about giving, and he teaches them about fasting, and he teaches them about prayer as acts of righteousness. And so it's in that context that in Matthew, uh, he teaches them about prayer, and then he teaches them how to pray. So from Matthew 6, and I hope you have your, your Bibles with you, we're going to look at two things that Jesus teaches us about prayer this morning. Two things. And after we look at those two things, we're going to look at our basis for prayer why we can even go to God in the first place. So two things that Jesus teaches us about prayer and then our basis for prayer, why we can even go to God in the first place. So you've already heard the text read for you this morning, but uh, the first thing that we notice that Jesus teaches us about prayer is a negative. And he's going to take a negative and he's going to turn it into a positive. So the first thing that Jesus says is don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. I'm going to read from verse 5 again, uh, which says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So the first thing that Jesus says is when you pray, don't pray like a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. Uh, Jesus says that a hypocrite is someone who wants to be seen, or more importantly, they want to be heard by others, see. A, a hypocrite wants the affirmation and the validation that comes from their performance, what they've done. 
Now, now we know a, a hypocrite is a pretender. My favorite all-time uh, cartoon, you know, back when they had cartoons, was of a, of a dad sitting in a chair reading the newspaper, and uh, the person that's talking is a little boy, and the, the script down below says, to the, the boy talking to the dad, it says, Dad, guess what I learned today in church, you hypocrite? Favorite cartoon of all time. So a hypocrite, why, they're a pretender. They're a pretender. See? A, a hypocrite is one who pretends to be something that he or she is not. Now, think of an actor. Because we get the word actor from this word hypocrite, from this idea. And I know what you're thinking. The theater, the theater. What's happened to the theater? So this is what an actor is. In the truest sense of the word, an actor is a hypocrite. Now listen, I mean no disrespect at all to Mr. Pricklepants, the uh, leader-hosen-wearing thespian hedgehog. So, you know, try to say that three times fast. An actor pretends to be something other than what they are. So how does a prayer hypocrite pretend? So where it gets really interesting. A prayer hypocrite is one who loves to be seen or heard praying in public, but has no inner prayer life. Has no inward relationship. A prayer hypocrite is, is one who, who takes center stage, who, who wants to be seen praying, who wants to be heard praying, but in their private life, they have no prayer life or little prayer life to speak of. D do you remember the infamous incident of the fig tree with no leaves that Jesus curses? And of course, infamous means more than famous. You can just ask El Guapo and he'll explain that to you. Do you remember this story? Jesus comes across a fig tree in full leaf and he sees that it has no fruit it has no figs and so he curses the tree see a fig tree with leaves should have had figs a fig tree with leaves should have had figs and so a fig tree with all leaves and no fruit it's a hypocrite it's a hypocrite pretending to be something that it's not. It's something that looks good from a distance, but the closer you get, you see that it has nothing to offer. Now, what's remarkable is that Jesus encounters this same kind of hypocrisy among the religious elite of his day. In fact, in one very pointed section in Matthew chapter 23, he calls them whitewashed tombs whitewashed tombs. You see, what Jesus was saying by using this description was, he says, on the outside, by the outward appearance, you appear beautiful. You're a fig tree full of leaves, but inwardly, it's a hollow space full of dead bones. What Jesus is saying here is that the outward appearance, it looks righteous but the inward reality reveals hypocrisy so 
A prayer hypocrite is someone who looks good and prays well when people are watching. But the outward life may be full of leaves, but the inward life bears no fruit. And so a prayer hypocrite is actually deaf to the silence of their personal prayer life. The reward they seek, which is applause and affirmation from others, is the exact reward that they get. Jesus says, don't pray like this. Don't pray like this. Don't don't come to God like this to be seen by others. He says, don't seek this from prayer. Look at verse 6 where we see what he says to do instead. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So notice that the solution is not to stop praying, nor is this even a prohibition against public prayer. The solution is to leave the limelight, to flee the spotlight. That's what Jesus is saying. Do you know what the best way to avoid hypocritical prayer is? Change who you want to see or hear you pray. It's the best way to avoid this. See, this is what Jesus means when he says in our text, Pray to your Father who is in secret, who sees in secret. This this word secret is a really fun Greek word. It also means hidden or inward. Hidden or inward. See, so it's not talking about a, a secret society or a secret club with a double secret password, sir. It's talking about the inward life. It's talking about paying more attention to your inward spirituality than to what is going on outside. So it's talking about the focus of your inward life with God. And this is in contrast with the display of your outward public life. See, there is a time and place for public prayer. Yes, that's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is something far more beautiful that your soul desperately needs private prayer. That's probably me every time I'm moving, so I'm going to try not to move. Yeah, good luck with that. Jesus is trying to teach us that your soul desperately needs and longs for inner relationship with God. So, How do you avoid hypocritical prayer? You need to make your private prayer life the focus of your petition. You need to make God the center of your attention. You need to make your personal relationship with God the utmost desire of your heart. Not to be seen or affirmed or approved by others because of your word choices. But that God and God alone is what your soul longs for. And prayer is not the way to get things. Prayer is the way to get God. And those are two different things. 
So that's the first thing that Jesus teaches us about prayer. To not be a prayer hypocrite. Now the second one, it's tough, right? Especially when you get paid to uh, heap up word after word for a living. Jesus says the second mistake you can make in prayer, don't be a babbler. Don't be a babbler. Great, great word. Look again at verse 7 where he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now, what's happening here is that the English Standard Version from which I'm reading, what it has done, it has translated the, the Greek word by definition. So it's given us the definition of the word. But the NIV that Hannah read for us this morning actually uses the English equivalent of the Greek word, and it's the word babbler. Don't be a babbler. But it literally means don't heap up empty phrases. Uh, this, this particular word, it, it means to, uh, to speak for a long time or to filibuster. To filibuster. That's where this word comes from. Okay. The idea here is the person who simply says the same thing over and over again. The idea here is the person who simply says the same thing over and over and over again. The idea here is the person who simply says the same thing over and over and over again. This is the point that never ends, right? Uh, how was the message today? Okay, I guess. It just felt like he kept saying the same thing over and over again. So that's what this word means. That all you're doing in prayer is, is heaping up words, heaping up empty phrases, just saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. Now, a, a second word that we have to look at in our Bibles is this word that the uh, ESV says uses the word Gentile and the NIV uses the word pagan. Now, now both of those words uh, come from the same Greek word, and the, the Greek word is the word ethnikos. Ethnikos. Now, it sounds like something, doesn't it, in English? And, and it's actually unfortunate that, that the English equivalent of this word in our Bibles is the word Gentile or pagan, which is a word that's used interchangeably. It's unfortunate because we think of pagans as irreligious people. But Jesus isn't talking about irreligious people. He, he's talking about people who, who probably pray more than we do. He's talking about people who, who pray a lot. They, they pray all the time. And so what Jesus is doing is, is he's given us an example of the prayers of very religious people. So this Greek word, ethnikos, and the English word ethnic, they both have as their primary meaning a multitude of people of the same nature or genus, a nation or a people. See, Jesus is saying essentially this, a multitude of people pray like this. He says, you will find a lot of people who will pray like this. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. Look again at verse 8. 
Do not be like them. This might be one of the best verses in the entire Bible. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Isn't that great? I mean, do you, do you see how wonderful this is? How good this is? <laughs> that before you utter a single word in prayer, your Father knows what you need. Before you ask Him anything, your Father knows everything that you need. Boy, this shows us how good God really is and how much He really loves us and cares about us. And this is something that we're going to talk about more next week as we start working through the Lord's Prayer. Now, in the end, both the hypocrite and the babbler they're the same person. They really are. They're the same person. They are the person that religion trains them to be. They're the person that religion trains them to be. See, when Jesus talks about hypocritical prayer, he's talking about motivation. That's what he's talking about, motivation. The motivation of the hypocritical prayer is to be seen and heard by others. That's what their motivation is. So the, the hypocrite in prayer is seeking approval and seeking affirmation, is seeking results based on performance. If I pray this way, if I pray the right way, if I use the right words, if I, if I, if I, if I, then cross your fingers just maybe, God will give me what I need. The, the, this person is basing their prayer life and what they're looking to God for as what they can do on performance. So a religious person sees prayer as a way to impress others in public but has little use for prayer in private. It's because the motivation of a religious person is always fear and insecurity. Fear and insecurity. And, and when fear and insecurity are your motivators, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You know, motivation is just motive for action. Motive for action. And there's two things that motivate us. One is inspiration and one is desperation. Think about the times in your life when desperation has been your motivator. It doesn't end well. It's far better to be inspired to action, to have inspiration as your motive for action. So when you're motivated by fear and security, it will always be of the utmost importance for you to look good in front of others. So when someone questions you, when someone challenges you, when someone criticizes you, it goes right at your fake identity. And so Jesus is talking about motivation here when it comes to prayer. The motivation of a religious person is to look good. Now, when Jesus talks about babbling prayer, he's talking about manipulation. Manipulation. So those are the two things that Jesus is, is teaching us about motivation and manipulation. The babbler views prayer also as performance. 
a way to earn what they think they deserve from God. And so the babbler approaches God as if the way to pray and the words you use will influence outcome. It's performance. It's all performance. And so once again, this is the difference between a religious person and a gospel-shaped person. They're two different people. A religious person is one who will obey to be accepted. And so the motivation of a religious person is based on this fear and this insecurity. And so the inevitable result is manipulated prayer because the motivation's wrong. The motivation's wrong. But the gospel teaches us to see motivation based on grateful joy. That's what the gospel teaches us. That we're motivated not by desperation, by this fear and insecurity. We're motivated by grateful joy and acceptance by our Father who loves us. So if a religious person prays to get things, a gospel-shaped person obeys to get God. To know who he is. A gospel-shaped person prays to delight in God and to resemble him. A gospel-shaped person knows that true obedience True obedience flows fully and freely from the acceptance they cannot earn. So what Jesus is teaching us here is that there's a religious way to pray and a gospel-shaped way to pray. Now, let's look just quickly at our last thing, our basis for prayer. In teaching us how to pray, Jesus is teaching us a larger lesson about prayer. He's teaching us that our basis for prayer, our standing before God, is what we heard read to us this morning from Ephesians 2. See? That salvation by grace is our basis and the only basis for prayer. Okay. Saved by grace may be one of the most challenging doctrines of the Christian faith. Right? It, it really is. It's challenging to understand, it's challenging to accept, and it's challenging to live out, right? I mean, it's challenging to live out on a daily basis that I am saved by grace through faith and not by my own merit, not by my own performance, not by my own works. Now, I'm not saying you have to fully understand the doctrine of saved by grace for it to be true, <laughs> first of all. And for it to apply to your life, okay? Because even if you don't fully understand it, even if you don't really know how it all fully works, it still works in your favor. This is one of the greatest things that I'd love to spend the next six weeks talking about. Salvation by grace. It's part of the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. It's part of our faith and our, and our trust in God. Did you ever wonder why in the garden that God doesn't explain to Adam and Eve in just full-blown-out PowerPoint presentation, color graphs, charts, that he doesn't explain in full detail, don't eat from the tree or you will die? Do you ever wonder why he doesn't do that? Why doesn't God just spell it out? Just give them every single nuance that he's inviting them into. Ever wonder why God simply says, here's a garden full of good things and you can have anything you want except this one tree. 
Why does God do that? See, what God is saying is, as my children, I'm asking you to trust me in this one thing. Trust me in this one thing. See, it's part of the mystery of faith. It's part of the mystery of faith. And, and what modern society has done to us, it has driven out from us any idea of mystery. It has removed from us what our soul desperately longs for and needs. We, we need this transcendence. We need this longing for mystery, for something else. And, and prayer, prayer is a way to know if you have fully accepted the truth of saved by grace. It is. It's a way to know that you fully accept that God fully accepts you because of Jesus Christ. End of story. This is one of the most wonderful things about prayer. Prayer is a way to know if the gospel is bearing on your heart. Prayer is, is part of this mystery of faith. It's part of this soul's longing for transcendence. It's this experience beyond the normal physical existence that we so desperately crave. And so how you pray, it has everything to do with how much you accept the mystery of saved by grace. That's why Jesus says, look at your motivation to pray. And look at what you're trying to do in prayer. Saved by grace gives you the right motivation to pray. Saved by grace keeps you from manipulative, hypocritical prayer. And that's what Jesus is calling to. That even before the words, our Father, come out of our mouth, that we have accepted as a presupposition that we are saved by grace. Okay. Can you imagine a father who would take you to Bass Pro Shops or Forever 21 and say to you, my child, look at everything in this store. Take a look. Look at every single thing in this store. There are things in here that I know that you need and there are things in here that I know that you want. Imagine him showing you the whole store, every shelf, every aisle, every, every nook and cranny, every single thing in that store. And then he says to you, I just wanted you to see this. I wanted you to see what I could give you if I wanted to. But I will never, ever give you anything in these stores unless you prove yourself worthy. If you want anything in either of these stores, you're going to have to come up with the right words and the right way. You're going to have to convince me to give you something that you need. The problem is that um, some of you have relationships like this. Some of you know it's not just a far-fetched example. You've lived that kind of life. 
you've had people in your life who pretty much have communicated the same thing to you. Don't you see? This is how religion has taught us to view God and to view prayer. And it's not what Jesus is teaching. Is it any wonder that you find little joy and little meaning and that, you know, that, that you just, you abhor the thought of sweet hour of prayer? It's more like sweet 15 minutes of prayer. It's because when you come to prayer in that lens, that it's about what you can do and what you need to do and that you've got to convince God to hear you and to give. Is it any wonder that you flee from that, that you run from that, that you have no desire to practice that? Jesus is calling us into something far better, far deeper, far richer. He's calling us into a relationship with our Father that before you even think of a word to say, He knows exactly what you need. And this Father has been giving and is giving and will continue to give because He The gospel changes the way we pray because it changes our hearts. See, if I believe that Jesus took the punishment for my sin, if I believe and I understand that he is given the reward for what I have done, and I've been given the reward for what he has done, this is prayer's preamble that I'm saved by grace through faith, not of myself. It is the work of God. And so I can come to him not to impress him, not to perform for him, but as simply to delight in him, to be with him. I don't have to even say a word. I can bask in the truth that he loves me. Let's pray. Father, we know that because of grace, because of Jesus, that's the only way that we can even speak to you right now, that we can come into your presence. So I pray that, Father, that you would apply this teaching to our hearts today through the power of your Holy Spirit. May the gospel, yes, Lord, bear on our hearts. Help us to see you and come to you for the good Father that you are. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's uh, share in a time of contemplative prayer together. Where there's no words, no need to say anything, but just to be in silence before the God who loves us and pray in your own heart, in your own mind, in your own spirit. And we'll spend just a short time in this silence and then continue this time of contemplative prayer uh, through a song of prayer as well.